Welcome to Vito 101, episode 38. I'm Bill. Hello, everybody. This is Al. Welcome to, uh, uh, welcome back. And here we are in uh, foggy Sonoma County. It's nice to see the fog out there. It is nice to see the fog. It's been a little chilly for me lately. Yeah. In the morning. Uh, not as not as chilly as it can be, because if you remember last year about this time, there was uh, plenty of ice to be scraped off of your windshield in the morning. Yeah. yeah. So we're uh, we're, do- we're doing OK, but it, it is cool. You definitely want to throw some some wood in the fire in the fireplace. Yeah. If, I mean, yeah. I you know, you have to, you know, contrast this to everybody else in the country. So, you know, I mean, that. Uh, <laughs> You know, I say that with my tongue in my cheek, a hundred percent. That it's a little chilly in the morning. It uh, the weather's pretty ideal here. You want to give a recap real quick of some of the areas you've experienced back in the Midwest? Oh well, in Wisconsin, I lived in Wisconsin, so you know it's there. You know, the proverbial joke is there's two seasons in Wisconsin: winter and road construction. <laughs> That's nice. the, that's the running joke. So yeah, it's um, it um, you know we don't have, I we have season we have season here, but it it's I would say it's sort of you know the rainy season and everywhere else and the rainy season usually comes sometime between October and April really when we get rain. Yeah. But Supposed to. yeah. But we've gotten some decent rain this year already, which is good. And the weather matters in, on this podcast because it, we're talking about wine, and it's a key ingredient. Well, uh, you were were you back then? Were you a Packer fan? You know, not really. I you know I would say I'm a Badger fan, probably for okay. the university than I am for anything else. So, um, not so much on the Packers. I I mean I like the. From a football standpoint, I like the Packers. I like the organization and how they run that team. But um, and Aaron Rodgers is fun to watch. But uh, you know, for the most part, I don't know. The NFL's decree. You know, football for me used to be used to be a Sunday thing, and it's just kind of gone by the wayside. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, you know, I just brought that up real quickly because you know they they axed their coach. Um, yeah. I'm, yeah. And uh, you know, I mean that's. I mean, no, no matter what you think of the guy, it's pretty unusual for a guy to have, you know, that type of uh, record and to be axed in the middle of the season. Yeah. It's pretty there's, messed up. There's some, there's some other drama going on that maybe we don't know about yet. But, yeah, totally unusual, right? Yeah, yeah. It's pretty pretty weird. So uh, let's uh, let's go on. And, uh, you know, I was, I was downtown, um, went downtown um, – uh, Sebastopol. <laughs> we, we got more than more than two or three lights, but you know it's not much. But I was downtown. We went to Martha's for lunch. That's a little Mexican restaurant. And uh, as we're walking up, you know, we park. You know, it's kind of busy down there because it's Christmas. There's a lot going on. Yeah. And um, I noticed that the little florist shop was closed, and uh, their sign up in the window um, was, you know, hey, thanks for all the know the support over the years and uh basically they said ever since the fires of last year the business has never recovered and they just had to close up shop and it's kind of a familiar theme around here i noticed like on social media you see a lot of wineries saying hey or restaurants hey you know we're still here it's a great place to visit you know you know we we haven't been wiped off the face of the earth but 
I know people that live in other areas, when you see those, when you saw those images a few months ago, um, several months, just uh, market saturation, but a lot of it is also a blowback from the fires. Yeah, I wonder if there's just this, going to be this wave of, um, you know, almost like a, you know, almost like the fire does to the forest, a renewal where, you know, businesses that were, you know, pretty tight from a margin standpoint and not, you know, struggling with the cash flow because they don't have that kind of customer, uh, consistent customer uh, coming through the door. The fire kind of put a hurt on them to the point where they can't sustain. And then, you know, a new business will eventually take its place. I, I you know, I, I, I mean, if you go down to Railroad Square, are not Railroad Square, but downtown Santa Rosa, where they reunited Courthouse Square, you can mm-hmm. definitely see there's a whole new slew of, I mean, that whole landscape, so I worked down there probably, what, four, five years ago, it's like, all the restaurants are different, except for a couple, um, yeah. you know, like uh, uh, Swellow's, you know, bar and grill, sports bar and grill, that thing's still there, the brew pubs are, you know, Russian River, and um, Third Street are still there, but like most of the rest of the stuff's all turned over. That's true, man. I mean, I was really surprised. Uh, one that comes to mind was right next to where you work was uh, Flavored Bistro. Right. They're just like, bam, one day they were closed. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, with it, you know, where, you know, I, I like I totally get that because I used to watch that part. I worked in the building next to that restaurant and I would watch the parking deck behind the building fill up for lunch every day. I mean, it would get packed where you couldn't find a parking space. And so those people were all coming you know, I, not all of them were eating a flavor, obviously, but a good portion of them, you know, were um, trafficking in their, you know, eating in the restaurants down there. Um, but, you know, if you don't have that constant turnover in a business like that, you're going to, it's tough. It's really tough. And then you start doing all kinds of stupid stuff like, you know, opening for, you know, doing breakfast when you didn't do breakfast as an example or dinner if you didn't do dinner and, you know, trying to do specials and advertising. It's crazy. It gets crazy. Um, yeah, you get that desperation mode. Yep. Um, you know, when I was in the restaurant business, we went through that a little bit. Um, I mean, this is a long time ago, but um, towards the end of my uh, restaurant uh, ownership uh, period, uh, we went through the uh, recession that happened in 87, 88. And, uh, you know, if you shave off just 10% of your gross receipts it really hurts yeah i mean that's you know i mean what kind of margins are you making in most restaurants i mean it's not huge so and that's if you're good yeah you know you know you're not going to have like a below five you know above five percent margin if you're you know if you're good and what i mean by good is like you know you're ordering the right amount of food um yeah effectively doing demand prediction um you know you're selling items that are reasonably high margin um and then you know you got a good reputation that's not easy it's not this is why when you walk in the restaurants there's such an emphasis on the drinks the wine the beer is a big part because um big margin you know the margin is so much better Yep. Yeah, you want to do uh, you, you if you like to eat at a restaurant, order a beverage there. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of joking. Way. I mean, it'll you know they'll they'll be around maybe. 
Um, but that's a this is sort of a good segue into the uh, uh, the article about the British um, restaurants, and that's a heck of a headline. They're closing yeah. at the rate of ten per week. Um, yeah, you know I don't know what the obviously when I read when I read that article I just I just looked at it as it's so much larger than what it typically is. I think the average run was or uh, rate of closures was two point six, so it's or, or percent from the right. start of uh, uh, twenty eighteen, which is reasonably high when you consider what it costs to actually you know build a restaurant from scratch. I mean it's a it's a lot of money. Ton of money to 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 put one in place, especially if you're you're starting with just a blank, you know, a blank slate. So yeah, uh, yeah. It, I it, it's funny because we hear the economy in the United States is doing well, according to, um, you know, a lot of that though is people looking at the stock market, not looking at other leading indicators. That's yeah, one one leading indicator I would say, Bill, would be. Uh, well, GM is laying off a whole bunch of people. I mean, that's a that's what like fifteen thousand people or some, some yeah. closing four or five plants. Yep. That's uh, I'm not sure what that means, but that's probably yeah, not it, a real good sign. You know, most people don't know that most most of the car companies um, are not that financially healthy. Um, I think the only one that has consistently remained financially healthy um, of the big of the big American car companies is Ford. Um, but they've you know they've done a lot of you know workforce alignment. They've done a lot um, around you know basically turning everybody in the company of watching the you know watching costs. And I knew this back. This is decades they've been investing in this. So these other car companies, I mean, it. if you've never had to buy a building and then buy all the equipment that goes in the building to make something, I mean, it's a big, huge expense. And then to try to deal with um, an international organization around your workers, it's com- it's really hard. So, you know, and then the, you know, the labor market, it's just, yeah, I'm going to pay an import duty now because we've got a president that's doing that kind of stuff, but it's still cheaper to manufacture somewhere else. I'm going to go there. Yeah, and Ford has in general, I, I believe back, uh, what, this 10 years ago when we had our, our the Great Recession, Ford was one of the few companies that uh, I don't think Ford needed any help. Uh, they didn't. Uh, stand on their feet. So, um, yeah. they, like you said, for years and years, they've been fiscally um, fairly pretty responsible, and they've kind of been ahead of the market as far as figuring out, you know, what's what's happening and, and where which direction it's going. But I know from, from my experience when I travel – uh, when I've traveled to Europe, you see a lot of Ford cars on the road. Yeah. You know, they sell a lot of cars in Europe, also. Yeah, they're all—all all of those companies are international companies. They all have, you know, models for, you know, export market. Yeah. Um, you know, they were doing that decades ago. You know, the ability to sort of build every model every day if they had to. Yeah. Yeah. you know, retooling completely. But, you know, to tie this back up in, in terms of kind of what we're what we're seeing in, you know, from a market standpoint, you know, things like restaurant co- closures don't bode well. I, I mean, I think it makes sense economically here because, you know, 
those businesses don't tend to make huge margins. They don't have a lot of cash from a cash flow perspective. So, you know, when things, if they're not getting customer turnover, it's really hard for them to stay open. We also, you know, to compound the fire is also compounded with the fact that they decided to, you know, rebuild part of downtown Santa Rosa that can, you know, with courthouse square, that definitely hurt a whole slew of people even before. And the fire was like a double whammy. Yes. And, and so we're now we're seeing some, you know, I see plenty of, you know, new food places open all the time. I don't know if it's, it's hard for me to tell whether or not there's more in Santa Rosa than, than less. Um, but I'm also hearing, um, I've been listening to, uh, the business I'm working in has a, a, a is related a lot to people, to truck driving. Um, it's people who drive all the time, and it's it's interesting. I've been listening to some of their podcasts and shows, and they are talking about how there's a there's a mixed bag from them where like there it's an all time high for the amount of jobs available to haul freight. Diesel's actually coming down, um, but things are slowing down for them. So the rate at which freight is becoming available is is shrinking, but it's still available. So they're they're certainly seeing from what they're what I'm hearing them talk about is the economy slowing down. Um, you know, it's funny though. You hear that, and then you hear some guy from the Northeast where it's like we can't get construction supplies out of here fast enough to the South yeah. for reconstruction. Like so we need they you know they still need. Um, tons of capacity to move stuff around it's interesting and this is from from just two years ago when we had the floods right yeah from the floods and then all the hurricanes on the east coast yeah it's pretty uh it's pretty amazing there's not uh there's a a a need for building but it doesn't seem there's a capacity to meet the need i mean that's certainly the case here yeah when i drive through um uh coffee park i mean i can't believe how undeveloped it still is right and i i know it's just because probably there's just not enough people to get it done i know the city would like it done a lot faster because for probably each one of those plots they get forty fifty thousand dollars in just taxes alone tax revenue yeah well there's a tax revenue thing there's also um you know i i think people aren't rebuilding it at at a rate or at a rate that people uh, at a faster rate than people expected is because the uh, there's insurance stuff too that's you know uh, I've had a few people that I know that are involved with sort of rebuilding after the fires and it's you know I, I would say out of 10 half of them are still waiting for settlements from the insurance company or still in negotiating yeah that's a really uh, we could we could go down a, a deep rabbit hole with that one I know some people too that's really ugly how that's playing out because of the, the length of time that's taken the net net if you have homeowners insurance and you want the money from your coverage go make a video inventory of everything in your home yeah literally well, a really video. good advice really yeah. good advice it's like everybody I've talked to that was that you know, was that OCD person that had a list and a picture and or video of everything? They're they're probably either in construction or done already. Because yeah. the insurance company is going to say, yeah, yeah, your how your structure is worth X. That's pretty basic, but everything inside it's worth Y. And you know, 
yeah, you bought that really high-end dishwasher 10 years ago. Well, guess what? That thing's worth 10% of what it once was. That's what they're going to pay you for it. Um, unless you can prove it's in perfect working condition, and then you can have a conversation about how much money you should actually get for that thing. I mean, it's down to that kind of stuff for some yeah. people. So, you know, it's not enough to have insurance. <laughs> you got to do your work, too. Yeah, you got to do your diligence. Yeah. Yeah. You really do. Hey, um, yeah, this isn't a real smooth do- dovetail, but our favorite, or at least my favorite uh, person, um, entrepreneur to talk about is, um, speaking of margins, yeah. <laughs> is uh, is uh, Mr. Wagner, Joe Wagner. Yes. Uh, of, uh, I'm not even sure how to say this, Eluan and uh, Willameter uh, Journal Brands. I think you're right. He's he's got himself in some hot water with the uh, Oregon uh, Liquor Control Board, and uh, they're not. Uh, I I don't think he showed up in court yet, but he did have to surrender. He was ordered to surrender seven of his labels uh, for his wine. He has a couple of brands that are those two brands that are pretty popular, and actually, I believe those brands are probably the top sellers for Oregon wine, uh, but. Uh, to, to make a long story short, he was making he's he gets the grapes in Oregon and he moves them to California for processing and uh, kind of skating the line with indicating and letting people know where the wine's made. And uh, this brought up the ire of uh, Jim Bono which uh, he's the founder of uh, Willamette Valley Vineyards and his buddy, um, uh, David Gomberg, who's a, a state representative. Um, they uh, basically put the screws to him and uh, got the government, uh, the TTB, which does all of the um, taxes for tobacco and firearms and wine. They got uh, them to say, hey, man, uh, we're... Um, even though we approved these labels and you've been using them, now we're going to take that approval back. So he surrendered his labels and um, he did get a reprieve from them. That reprieve was he got to use up, uh, they call it a use up. So he got to use up uh, the wine that was out there. So he, he didn't have to actually um, bring the wine back in the warehouse and relabel it, which would have been extremely costly. So he got a use up, uh, a case use up of 76,000 cases, which is a lot of wine. I don't know if that's some type of record or something, but it may be. But uh, he's he's according to this article um, by Lisa B. He's kind of uh, these guys are still duking it out pretty good. Yeah, and there's there's <clears throat> it, it, this article is worth a read just from the standpoint that there's more to the story. Um, it turns out that he that 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 Elon is is one of the top selling Oregon Pinots. And it, he, so, you know, his contention, Wagner's contention is, yeah, I'm eating into other people's profits, so they're upset. And now they're using the state to try to shut me down. And it, they're, uh, it turns out that those two are invested together. Yeah, they're Um, business partners. They're business partners. So the politician who got the TTB to go shut this guy down, um, you know, is what he has a 6k investment in the other brand. 
That's pretty uh, But that's got nothing to do with it. Not at that's all. That's got nothing to do with it because he only makes $21,000 a year. As yes. A well, and, uh, he's, a, he's allowed to do, you know, to have other businesses, right? How's he going to live on 21000 Oh, I'm, I'm not disputing that. I just find it coincidental that there's this conversation going on now. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> yeah, it's a coincidence. Well, just to recap for everybody, um, uh, we know uh, – Joe Wagner pretty well because Joe Wagner uh, owned uh, Mayomi um, uh, wine brand, the Pinot Noir that was a darling and I suppose still is. It's owned by uh, Constellations right now, right. but he sold uh, that brand to Constellations for $315 million a few years ago. Just the brand. Just the brand. Just the brand. People need to <laughs> no, remember uh, just no the name. Yeah. No, no equipment, property, no plant, equipment. No yeah, no land, no prop, no property, plant, equipment, just a label. So that's the definition of a popular brand. Yes. Um, so and a good uh, and hey, look, it's not trivial to get something to brand status like that. Yeah, yeah, he's that's. I, mean, I you got to you got to Yeah, they were up to. I want to say almost like a, a quarter of a million cases you yeah. were making. I mean, it, it, like, to get, yeah, to get, I don't know. And it's still, like, people consider it, a, and I'm not disputing that it's a great wine or an awesome wine, but, like, people are like, this is a really awesome wine. You should get it. Yeah, it has a, it has a specific profile. I think, um, you know, I would just, if, if I had to give it just a few phrases, I'd say, um, uh, as far as Pinot goes, I'd just say uh, candied red fruit. Um, it's a very soft, uh, uh, super fruit forward style. Um, interestingly enough, a, a incredibly large contrast from anything that you would get from Oregon. And I think this, <laughs> it's, it's like, what? Well, I want to go see if I can find one of these Elan bottles now yeah. and see if it is like, you know, a Russian river Pinot, yeah, yeah. you know, the, so, uh, the big fruit bomb. Yeah, exactly. That's part of the problem is that these these um, it it would definitely be more um, appealing to the general consumer to have the more fruit forward uh, California um, fruit bomb Russian River Pinot than um, because um, you know the Oregon Pinots they're nice for what they are but they're definitely more I almost hate to say this Burgundian but they're they're uh, less was, fruit forward. Yeah, I was going to say uh, much yeah, more. You get, Sorry. Yeah, you get more 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 acid. Um, uh, you know, they're, they're just not more. They're just not as much in your face. They're more food friendly, also. By the way, um, one thing I did want to bring up is that uh, you know, uh, Joe Wagner is the son of uh, Charles Wagner. Charles Wagner started the Camus brand. Um, these people, uh, they, they were actually started the wine business down the Central Valley, like everybody else did. I believe they started. I, I don't know. I can't say which which uh, area for sure they start, but they started not in Napa Valley. They ended up in Napa Valley. They have the Camus brand, which is great. What's unusual about what's unusual about the Camuses is that they start brands and they don't put everything under their brand. Um, they have a bunch of different brands aside from Camus, Bell Gloss. Marisolet, which is uh, Central Coast. They had Mayomi, which they sold. Conundrum, 
I mean, if you shop at Costco or you shop at any wine store, you've seen these brands and they're extremely popular. Um, several years ago, the Wagners in Rutherford, they ran into a problem with uh, Napa County where they actually had to pay a million dollars to the county of Napa, a million dollar fine for shipping and bottling wines from Monterey County. So this is not something new to the Wagner family, you know, and they may say, hey, you know, we were just the whole what's going on with um, Joe Wagner is he's like, hey, my bottling facility is in California. Yeah. I'm bringing the grapes over here. I'm not doing anything different or weird. I'm just bringing the grapes from one spot to another. Well, that's all good and fine, but the the fine wine model doesn't it's not in sync with what he's doing. Typically, when people think of a, a fine wine or wine in general, they think of it's grown and produced in the general area where it comes from, where the grapes come from. So he's kind of bending the rules a little bit that, and they've done it before. Um, as a matter of fact, I think they moved after the they got fined several years ago. They actually moved their bottling plant from uh, Rutherford to Solano County. So this doesn't, you know, as a as a as a, a layman, this doesn't seem like a big thing. But when you're talking about a company that bottles like hundreds of thousands of gallons of juice. When they're doing every time for each gallon, they pay X amount to the county of Napa. When they move that bottling facility, that's a, a big impact on the on the tax revenue base for that county. So, you know, you could look at it. Well, you guys are going to charge me a million dollars for uh, breaking the rules for going over my gallon amount or moving stuff from another county. I'll just move my bottling facility, and that's what they did. So. Um, It'll be interesting to see what he does because uh, these people have been in the business since the early 70s. Um, they're highly respected in the wine business. And um, one of the things that comes with that when you're big and you've been around for a while, you do get to, you know, you, you do have a sway and you have some weight. Yep. Yep. And they're, I mean, not only are they, they're, you know, the family is an old California family. Yeah. You know, they, uh, um, They've, yeah, they've been in what in Napa Valley since the fifties. Yes. Well, let, let me ask you this, Bill. How do you think Joe Wagner is going to treat us, i.e., Dairy Man Winery? How's that? I haven't heard anything about that recently, but I know it's it's on the back burner, but it's it's coming. Yeah, I don't. You know, I don't. I haven't heard a thing about it. Um, I don't know. Uh, give our give our viewers a quick rundown on what's going on on there as you from your viewpoint. So we, um, so the Wagners have uh, our listeners. Excuse me. What's that? Our listeners. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. No viewers. worries. <laughs> you say viewers too. <laughs> Put my, if they can a, see us, a, they're doing pretty well. That's true. <laughs> um, so outside of Sebastopol, on the way to Santa Rosa, so that's heading east from Sebastopol. There is a two-lane highway, and there's a, uh, a farm on the south side of that two-lane highway that the Wagners want to buy and build a production facility, a fairly large one, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember how big the case size was. Do you? 
I think it's over half a million cases. All right. So, you know, pretty sizable. And there's other wineries in the area. I mean, Dutton, how big's Dutton Goldfield? Uh, Dutton's nowhere near that big. Uh, I'd say Dutton Goldfield's probably or not under 100,000. Under What's the one that's on, on the north side of 10 that's off the Laguna Trail? That's oh, Boleto. Yeah, Boleto. That's Boleto's big. That's yeah. big. And you don't even know that building's there unless you go find it. I would, I I would say that building's actually put put in that piece of property pretty pretty nicely. Anyway, they want to they they the Wagners buy grapes from many wineries up and down the um, the Sonoma Coast Appalachian, which is a huge Appalachian that runs from you know northwestern Sonoma County all the way down to you know. Uh, it runs south and to the southeast and it even crosses 101 so it's a big piece of property uh, that that Appalachian contains or a lot of land that Appala- Appalachian contains the Wagners have a ton of small wineries they buy grapes from you know people that have like four acres of wine that they buy Pinot from right now they're trucking all that stuff all the way over to Sonoma into Solano County where their production facilities are they want to build one here close to Sebastopol where they don't have to bear the transportation costs is one of the uh, one of the reasons too pretty sure they want to put they want to use it as a venue so they the community here is very concerned about all the truck traffic and then all the you know uh, bus traffic that might go into that winery so and they they said that that you know there was a contingent when they filed the plans to do this, it said no way ever. So that's kind of where they're at. I don't know where they're at in terms of actually getting the permits approved. I think we're at the salamander, uh, the red is salamander. There, there's some, yeah. <laughs> well, one of the problems you hear that California has a housing, not to go off in too much of a tangent, any business that does this falls under the rules of having to get an environmental impact review on the property when they build. Um, it's called CEQA is the legislation. I think Brown actually had legislation to try to re, um, the legislature, let me say it this way. The legislature in California, as liberal as it is, has been trying to, there's a whole contingent that is trying to revise those regulations because it is impacting everything from housing to business because it costs so much money to, um, you know, go through these environmental impact studies and, there's all this mitigation work that has to happen if you want to. It's very costly. I'm not, I, I, part of me is like, it's good to have that type of regulation. I don't, you know, people need to think consciously about what they put on their land and where they build it. But at the same time, you know, we got to get housing built. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, you know, I don't know what it, you know, it's good to protect the land and soil. But anyway, back on the Wagners, it, it, the, the argument the arguments, the sort of juxtaposed arguments are a play here. That thing's off a state highway. It is a two-lane road right now. It is pretty trafficked, but it is, I would argue that it's in a place that if the road needed to be expanded, and I bet you there's plans from Caltrans to expand that road to a four-lane highway, it would be the right place to do it, do it in my opinion. It's not in the city of Sebastopol. It's on the outskirts. And buses go up and down that road every day all day so like if you're going to bring a big venue in that's way better than trying to put it in the dense like in a in a dense city that's just my you know thinking without knowing any of the that's an opinion 
So yeah, we'll we'll it, see. It, yeah, it's it's going to be. Uh, I I it just depends. In his case, I think it's how much uh, you know. He's got a pretty big fight on his hands with this Oregon brand, so it's just you know, you know how much energy you energy do you put in, want to put in one thing versus another. So I, I mean, it's almost like you can't fight everybody at once. One of those type of things. Yeah. So. Yeah, maybe that's are, why it's a little bit on the back burner. Yeah, and these guys are smart, right? I mean, they've been in this. They've been doing this for a long time as a family. So, yeah. and they got a lot of resources. Yeah, they really do. They you really know, do. they got a lot of resources. And I'm not <laughs> just talking money either. They, you know, I mean, they're down to the, um, if you read that article from Oregon, Wagner's saying that politician should be, should be, not have any say in, in the TTB stuff. And he's good. The article even gives an example that, you know, McCain, John McCain, used to recuse himself from anything to do with the beer industry because his wife is an executive in that business. So, you know, he's making some good arguments. I don't know about the whole, I don't know where I sit about the other argument that Wagner's making is like, hey, it's a global business. Wine is a global business. And all the rules that we have are for our not a global business so they all need to be changed and he said it's all going to get blown up anyway i can't that might be a quote from him from 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 joe so i you know i think it's good that this that there's somebody pushing the envelope on this stuff as a consumer i don't know how i as a consumer it for me it just comes down to like i want the the label should reflect it grapes grown in oregon you know produced and bottled in california let the tax yeah. let the yeah. tax authorities fall where they may. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, he, he definitely was. He's, he's definitely uh, pushing the envelope by labeling, uh, you know, Oregon Coast, which is. I mean, he just came up with some fanciful names. You know, the grapes don't come from the Oregon Coast. So, I mean, I could see there. I could see how uh, Gumberg would be uh, a, yeah. a little miffed. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he did. I think Joe did everything. He's doing everything above board for the most part, and he's going to change things to, to make it work. I just, uh, I don't think it was, uh, I don't think it was in good taste for them to bring up uh, uh, the uh, inappropriate uh, sexual behavior accusation in 2013. I thought that's in pretty poor taste. And, um, you know, it's kind of uh I guess sometimes that weaves its way into politics, but I don't, I don't know if that was necessary. Let's just stick with the facts here. Well, that's, you know, that's just, you know, that's somebody's, yeah, I could, I could see a PR flack just saying, hey, we should just, <laughs> hey, when you start talking about Gomberg, make sure you loop this in. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> okay, it's well, sort of a of- technique of persuasion. When you start labeling somebody like that, that's what people remember. Yeah, yeah, it's just real. You know, I mean, it's like I could totally hear a PR consultant saying, "Every time you talk about Gomberg, make sure you say sexual predator." Oh man! And it's like, um, yeah, he, he gave somebody a side hug. Yeah, you mean Gomberg, the side hugger? Yes, that's the guy. <laughs> the yeah. side hugger. Yeah, and it's like, oh my god, yeah, and he's done and. Like how many people get hugs when they're drinking wine? A lot more. A lot more when they're not drinking. A lot more than uh, a lot. A lot more than if they weren't drinking wine. Sorry. 
Um, trying to think of how to best say that, but yeah, you have a few glasses of wine. Yeah, you're gonna give a hug. I don't know what a side hug is. Yeah, I'm not sure what a side. <laughs> it's I'm, like I, that's just like that whole paragraph should have deleted. Well, you know, speaking of uh, uh, things that shouldn't be said or things that need need to be said. I'd like to move on. There's no really good segue for this, but I just love this guy. We've talked about this guy in the past. I don't love him for his uh, what he's done, but I love him for his chutzpah. And yeah, his ca- his cattiness, right? His his sort of thumbing the nose at, and like deliberately. You're talking about VJ. Yes, he's from from the from the annals of uh, I'm a bad guy, and oh well. What are you gonna do about yeah, it? Yeah, what do you? So there's an there's an article Al sent about um, where this guy uh, who owns his homes, and I forget how many uh, how many he has. Uh, yeah, they probably they're just focusing on some of his his big ones. This is uh, I'm not exactly sure how to say it. It's VJ uh, Malai. Malia, 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 yeah, yeah. He's a he's uh, for all intents and purposes, he was the uh, he's he was a billionaire. Yeah, and uh, he's uh, the uh, a beverage uh, a beverage so, mogul, Kingfisher, uh, right? India, yeah, Kingfisher, Kingfisher uh, Airlines. Yeah, well, and beer, I Kingfisher yeah. beer is a big, um, but Kingfisher's his brand or was. Yeah. I don't know who owns it now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't, uh, I think, uh, well, he left, if I'm not mistaken, didn't he leave and move to London about five or six years ago? Yeah. Because this has been going on for a while. So um, they've been trying to get him extradited back to India so that he can face the courts. He's got and, t- uh, tax tax problems, right? Yeah, he's, he's got some fairly serious allegations of, of money laundering. And no money laundering. Um, he's saying, hey. Uh, I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> I loaned some I money to my brother. Wrong. I'm not coming back over there, but anything that I left over there, you guys can take it. You can have it. Yeah. You know? Hey, whatever you I'm need. All, I'm all good. So I, I think his home. I sent you. Um, I sent you a, a video of one of his homes on. Uh, is it pronounced Goa? Goa. On the yeah. coast of India. Yep. That video. I'm telling you, Bill. I watched that video. <laughs> two or three times man and i don't there's nothing i watch more than two times i love that video this guy is showing his his one of his estates on on the coast there and the one at the very beginning when he's on the trike with the small block ford v8 engine on yes yes um that's like the epitome of excess yeah (laughs) it's when you look at the place it's just like gold everywhere just it's, yeah. it's unbelievable and that's just one of his houses that he kind of left somewhere but he's saying take it i believe that house actually was sold um that that, that house was sold about a year ago to some uh, indian actor or something but he does have some other properties uh that they've been trying to sell and uh, they haven't had uh, very much success i don't know what these amounts are but they say he's uh He's he's got some loan. Actually, the banks are trying to get him back because he, he borrowed all this money from uh, these Indian banks and he didn't make any payments. And um, what's RS nine thousand? 
I don't know the currency in India. Oh, it's rupees. Rupees. Yeah. Well, he owes a lot of rupees. Just 9,000? <laughs> yeah, 9,000. Is that? That's nothing. That's it says RS9000 Crowray. C-R-O-R-E. I don't know what Crowray means. Well, anyway, uh, so he's, he didn't pay his loans. And he lives in, he's a pretty smart guy because he lives in London. But uh, he claims that those homes that are in London, those belong to his mother and his uh, kids. Yeah. yeah. They're not his houses. <laughs> well, I, I, that's what I'd have to say. That's <laughs> uh, not me. <laughs> not me. So anyway, this guy is, uh, he, it's a continuing saga. I like, I like finding it. I think just recently um, his attorney is actually going over um, – to uh, uh, he's flying over to India to to do the um, to do his bidding for him, but I don't think he's uh, I don't think he's uh, going back to India. He really really doesn't want to go back. So uh, yeah, I don't blame him because I think that number is like one point two billion. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I think it's nine thousand times one hundred and forty thousand. Yeah, something like that. I remember yeah. the fines being like just stupid you know like nobody could it's stupid meaning no there's you could write a law like that but nobody's ever going to be able to pay it yeah so i don't know if they're going to be able to successfully extradite him but you know good luck to him and i at this point i know that he had an airline also uh the airline i mean it went out of business he didn't even i think he went for i mean people were working for free for months that they didn't get paid um, I, I've just, uh, it's, it's amazing that it went on as long as it went on. Yeah, that's for sure. So, so, so dovetailing into that, we've got, we've got someone that has been accused of wrongdoing and money laundering. And this one, uh, this one has to do with not so much beer and airplanes, but this has to do with wine. And this is the, uh, Italian fashion mogul, um, Antonio Moretti. Yes. Now, Antonio Moretti, I don't know. I mean, for us people in the wine world, is um, he has some very distinctive high-end, high-quality wineries. Um, one in Tuscany called uh, Seti Ponti. Yeah. And another um, in uh, Sicilia called Guidi uh, Wedo. Uh, Makati, I believe that's how you sign, how you um, say it. And then he also has a winery, I believe, in uh, Bulgari. Uh, the winery in Bulgari is called um, Orma. Orma does yeah. uh, Cabernet blends. In that area, it's right on the right on the um, coast of the Mediterranean. Uh, this guy made his money with uh, Car Shoe. Did you ever get a chance to look up Car Shoe? I did. What do you think of his brands? I like them. Nice it's shoes. Cool, huh? Yeah, yeah I, it's so what I. Not... It's Italian shoes. Like I would, you know, it fits the stereotype. Let's say it yeah. that way. Yeah, they're they're very uh, very stylish. So uh, unfortunately for him, he's been accused of um, uh, committing some financial crimes. Uh, that's a nice <laughs> way of saying money laundering. Yes. <laughs> so uh, several of his relatives um, and and his son. Um, they have been um, 
well, actually, he and his son, they are actually under house arrest in his villa. In their villa. Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and, and the villa's in the red, so it's in Tuscany. So yeah, they can't go out. They can't. Uh, they can't take the cars for a spin. They gotta just hang out. But, well, uh, maybe they can. They maybe have car permission. Maybe. Yeah, ah. I could see it. You could see it. Yeah. <laughs> maybe we'll bend the rules a little bit, eh? Yeah, you know, it's a nice car. It's you know, you gotta take it out. He's, he's where am I gonna go? Yeah, where am I gonna? I'm on an island. Come on. Where I'm am I gonna go? He's Come been, on, uh, it'll be fun. Been investigated for over, almost over a year, so uh, the Italian authorities believe that they have, they do have the goods on him. Um, and all of the, there's a total of 14 companies, so they've seized all the assets. So when you go on to the wine sites, it's probably wineries. The wineries are closed. They say closed. Wow. Like literally closed indefinitely. Yeah. So I'm not sure. So they hit him where it hurts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty amazing, because these are wines that have consistently. Um, for some of these states, these wines are always in the. They're in the top rankings with the with the Wine Spectator. Um, he's gotten great reviews from Antonio Galloni, um, James Suckling. Uh, these are, these are, you know, everything was high end, really high end, high end fashion, high end wines. Yeah. So. Uh, not let's cheap shoes. They, not cheap shoes. Yeah, let's hope that they figure that out, and um, those places and the people that because you're talking about a lot of people that are working for all these brands that are being uh, impacted. I always think about those things. It's easy to just think about the principles at the top, but you know, there's just a, a a huge network of people that are employed by these companies that he owns. Yeah. Yep. So that's. Uh, that's uh, the that's the end of the bad guy, the bad bad bad, bad, bad guy, bad actor segment. <laughs> hey, uh, what were your thoughts on um, the 2018 harvest, though? And then just if you could tell us about what you thought about the weather for 2018, because I got I got some thoughts. Yeah, I um, so the harvest was good, and in fact, the uh, the press is saying that it. Um, it could be like legendary good, you know, based on, um, on the weather. It was like, I remember it being, um, I remember it being very hot during the summer. Um, and they, 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 I, I don't know the, the, the article I, uh, the article that you posted from the wine spectator said the temperatures were cooler and the weather was more moderate. Um, so there was a, you know, it was essentially what I was taking away from the article that it, it allowed the grapes to grow at a very slow pace and ripen really smoothly. Um, and of course, it was another, I believe it was another banner year in terms of production. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you've, you, Dave, uh, Dave Ramey and Kistler. Jason Kessner from Kistler Vineyards are in this article. They're both saying how great uh, a season it was. Yeah, I, I think it was a good uh, season also. Um, uh, mainly from a standpoint of there was no there was no extreme weather on either end, the beginning or 
towards the in the middle or towards the end. You know, there was no real crazy uh, frost uh, problems. Um, you know, it started a little later. The fruit set was a little bit later, but uh, it was pretty even. Like you said, it was warm. I mean, it's California. It was warm, but it was warm and it was cool. We didn't have these crazy heat spikes that we have where we just like go. I mean, this is the first time in a long time I can remember um, for a summer that we didn't have three or four days where it was hotter than Hades, you know. And I mean, there wasn't there wasn't a, there wasn't anything like that. So, yeah, it was um, warm. I just remember um, we went camping in June, and I remember being hot during the day. <laughs> but at night, it was you know as usual. And, and I mean, we weren't in. I mean, we were in Lake County, technically, yeah. or in Mendo, I guess, Mendocino County, which where we were would get like really, really hot, like you know. Uh, close to a hundred, if not over, and it wasn't. It was close, but not over during the day. Yeah, the only the only caveat I would say is that I know that we had um, we had some fire. We had a pretty big fire in Mendocino. Yep. Um, Starting like in July. Yeah, and that was like right around the time. It was probably like the worst time to have a fire, as far as for. Um, for viticulturists, for grape growers. Yeah. And uh, I would be, I mean, even here, I remember, I, it's it's weird. It seems like we're always talking about the smoke and these fires, but I remember um, that was, I just remember how incredibly smoky it was here for quite some time. Actually, I took some pictures um, when I was up in um, the Cloverdale area one time. I took pictures of, um, what it looked like just looking off towards the east it was just incredibly smoky and i don't think that was really good so i would be i would be a little bit guarded about uh purchasing um wines that were made from grapes in mendocino for that year um you know you definitely wouldn't want to just blindly buy a whole case of wine you probably want to try it and make sure that you know it the, the flavor profile uh works for you um because there, there might there there's there's the possibility of some smoke taint issues with those wines for sure. And uh, hate to be the bearer of bad news, <laughs> but you know if you're if you're growing grapes in an area and there's a a, a really thick um, layer of uh, ash and 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 smoke haze for for weeks on end, you know, there's a, there's a pretty good chance that the quality of the wine is going to be impacted in a negative way. Yes. And it, man, that's going to be a crapshoot trying to figure a, it out. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird, uh, it's a, it's a weird thing to say, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's really true. Yeah. So, and it just happened at probably just like the worst time, like you said, I mean, a fire starts in July. That's just right about uh, just before harvest. So, and as and that just kind of dovetails with uh, we talked a little bit about this on the last podcast. We didn't just have fires here in California. There were fires in Oregon. There's fires um, all up and down the West Coast, which is not that uncommon. But uh, because it was such a good crop uh, as far as, far as uh, yield this year. Um, a lot of vendors were trying to figure out, you know, ways to not buy as much, uh, uh, process as many grapes. And this would be an easy out, you know, 
for some people to say, ah, these grapes, they're, they're smoke tainted. And I think uh, Joe Wagner got, he got tarred with that allegation also. Huh. Yeah. I don't know. When, I mean, when though, did he get, I remember something about that, the smoke taint thing with Wagner. Yeah, it was, it was this year. He turned down uh, a lot of grapes in Oregon um, because uh, he, he said he sent them to the lab and they were smoke tainted. He turned them down. And that happened, um, it happened a lot in Mendocino. Um, wow. Happened. See, what, one of the problems is a lot of these grape growers, if you're a grape grower, you want to sell your grapes to somebody that's got money. You don't want to sell them. You know, if you sell your grapes to a, a smaller producer, you'll get paid, but you're not going to get paid as, as, as quickly. If you sell them to a larger producer, there's a little security with, uh, they got deeper pockets, so yeah. I'm, I don't have to worry about, about getting paid. But you're also at their, at their mercy if they decide to just blankly say, we're just not going to take the grapes. So, and, the, and grapes aren't, you know, it's not you, you put them in the refrigerator. You gotta, you know, once you pick them, you gotta use them. You know? So, well, it always goes back, Bill, a familiar theme. Farming ain't easy. No, it's not. And you're at the vestiges of so many things, so many variables. But business in general isn't easy. Yeah. You know, I mean, there are better businesses. I Look, there are a lot of businesses today. You can just not get your hands dirty at all. <clears throat> But, um, you know, those things are just really marketing stunts at the end of the day that you hear about, you know, oh, I, you know, I put this thing on the internet and made a billion dollars overnight. Well, that's, those things aren't true. Yes. Some people have the, uh, the golden touch. Yeah. Did you see, um, did you see that article about, uh, the Oakville grocery? Yes. Um, and them selling to, um. I can't remember the voice. Boise. Charles Boise. And that guy is, man, he's got his hands in so many different things, but whatever he touches, man, he's like, it's like the Midas touch. Yeah. And he's a huge proponent of um, sustainable farming, um, organic farming. So I'm sure he's just going to take that grocery to the next level. That's what I was going to say. I mean, it certainly helps when you start with a to start with, you know, that yeah, yeah. He's, grocery. He's, he's, he certainly has the funds. And he then, the funds. well, and then he's got access to stuff that other people don't have based on who he is. Um, and then it just sounds like he's got really good people curating stuff for stores, which let's face it, that's what retail is all about today. Um, if you have physical retail, it's all about curation in that store, and I mean that in in, a, in the truest sense of the word. It's it's about like finding stuff that people can't get everywhere, isn't mass produced, and you know it's special. It's sort of special. Let's just say it that way. And I think they'll do that. And even, yeah, he will. It's, it's he, all his stuff's all focused on you know locally grown, sustainable. Um, I mean, he's just. Yeah, and it's gonna it's gonna be a great place to. It already is a good place to visit. I haven't been there in a long time. But I've been to the one in Hillsburg. Yep, me too. Which, yeah, I mean he's it's owned by the by the Rudd family, and they're no slouches in um, taking care of Oakwood Grocery. Anyway, I mean yeah. they bought it. 
God, how long have they had Oakville Grocery? They bought know. it a while back, a while. but it was on its. Uh, it was on. It was, <laughs> it was on its last legs. Yeah, it was on its literally. way out. I mean, it's always been. It's like an old. Literally, it's like. It's an old grocery. It's just an old grocery store. Yeah. You know, wood floors, the old, uh, you yeah, know, the tin I, metal roof. The you know, yeah. it's right next to the post office. You it know? used to be the Oakville Grocery. Like, if you lived in Oakville, that's where you went to get groceries. Right um, across the train track. Yeah, you know? <laughs> it's got history, too. And then the Ruds took it over and, and you know, made it, you know, made it a, um, it's more of a place where you get, I, what I'm going to, and this doesn't do it justice, but at some level people might get an idea. It's where you go buy picnic supplies. You know, it has really nice charcuterie. You can go in there and buy awesome cheese. They have yep. bread. They obviously have awesome wine. And they've been adding, I think they have a little bit more pret manger now. Um, but it, like everything in there is good already. Um, and now they're going to make it even, like these guys will bring a whole nother a view of that. It'll be fun to go. I'm getting hungry thinking about it. Yeah, that'd be a good place to go. My, um, I think that the reason that the, the Reds decided to, to sell it was that I, I believe the Patriarch passed away. He passed away earlier this, earlier this year. Uh, and I think they just kind of... Well, yeah, if you don't have anybody who really wants to do that, I'm sure it's a... You know, you got to be in there. Every, for a store to work like that, some owner has to be in there on a regular basis. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a unique model for yeah. these for these um, these wineries. I mean, he's kind of the, the reason that they. It's not unusual to think that uh, Boisse would move in and do this because um, I don't know if our listeners know this, but Charles Boisse is he's married to Gina Gina Gallo, and uh, they have a similar type of operation. You know, here you got this um, actually a, a wine mogul. Uh, the Gallo family owns um, uh, the Dry Creek store in Hillsburg. And uh, um, that, talk about, it's the same thing. You go in, you could um, get uh, a lots of fancy foods, uh, cheeses, uh, charcuterie. You could have them make you a gourmet sandwich, blah, blah, blah. Um, they've owned that for years. So this is just an, a natural extension. They're kind of doing the same thing. I have a winery. Now I have um, a high-end um, fancy food um, grocery store. So it's very. Uh, It'll, it's going to be good. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to. I'll have to pop into the one because obviously they, um, they, they, when they purchase that brand, they get the one in Hillsburg also. Be interesting to see what happens there. Hillsburg's a tough market, man. It's come a long way. Talk about restaurants going in and out. I walked in that square. I didn't recognize. Like, <laughs> Three-quarters of the restaurants, yeah. they're all different. Yeah. Yeah. That's going to happen, though, in that place. Um, it's amazing. So, yeah. uh, what else you got, Bill? I don't I don't have anything else. What you been drinking? Been drinking anything good? Oh, boy, have I ever. I've been, um, I've been drinking a lot of, um, a lot of red wine. Yeah, it's uh, it is the season. It is the season, and uh, I don't know if I told you this or not, but I've been going on kind of a little bit of a slight, um, non-meat, um, n- not no meat actually uh, type of uh, diet for oh. 
for months now. Oh, good for you. And I just recently fell off the wagon. Ah. So I've been um, well, having a lot of uh, Chianti uh, Sangiovese-based wines. Um, one that I had recently was uh, made, it's made by the Frescobaldi family. Mm-hmm. Here's the label. It's uh, called uh, Nipozano. And it's a Chianti uh, Rufina. Hmm. That's R-U-F-I-N-A. Uh, the accent over the U means you give it a little extra. Uh, so uh, it's made by Frescobaldi. Um, delicious. Yeah. 20, 2013. Okay. Uh, usually what we'll do at our household is we'll open up two bottles for uh, to contrast and compare. Um, that's really how I've always, uh, typically we drink the wines. So I might open up a Chianti. I might open up, um, I don't know. I might open up a Cabernet or something, but it's always nice. It's fun and it's very educational to contrast and compare. Obviously we don't drink two bottles. It's just two of us. (laughs) So what I'll do is open them up and I decant, uh, half of the bottle into, um, uh, decanters and we just stick them in the fridge. If it's a well-made wine, that's fine. Uh, it'll last for a long time in the fridge, yeah. um, especially if you don't have a lot of airspace to it. Yep. If it's not so well-made, it'll deteriorate pretty rapidly. So that's one way that you can tell if what its lifespan is going to be like. Uh, yep. This is 13% uh, alcohol. Uh, the Frescobaldi's are noted for making um, some pretty uh, uh, modern-style um, wines. Uh, they own real estate all up and down the, um, the peninsula, the Italian peninsula. And, uh, this is a pretty well distributed label. Uh, I would implore you to try and find this wine. Um, it's, I think it's 18 bucks. Uh, it's from 2013 vintage. Avoid the 2014 vintage if you can. And uh, I don't believe the 2015 is out. Really good bottle of wine. Sounds delicious. Uh, going more modern um, is uh, uh, the Tenuta di Nozole. This is made by another family, uh, old world family, and this is the uh, Folinari clan. Now, I don't know if you. Um, I'll, actually, I'll strike that. It's, uh, it's Ambrosio and Giovanni Folinari, because uh, to make a long story short, the Folinari's, uh, the big clan is no longer, I don't believe they're in the wine business anymore. Um, they were actually bought out by uh, some big Italian wine company. But this is a father and son uh, collaboration, and uh, they're um, in the area of uh, Greve. Greve's uh, right in the center of... Um, center of Tuscany, and it's a Chianti Classico Reserva. The year's 2015. Um, I got this bottle of K&L huh. wines. I know I mentioned K&L a lot on some of our podcasts, and there's a reason for that. It's probably hands down the best wine retailer I've ever had the business of doing business with. Um, not just for the variety, but for also for the people that work there. Um, just how they handle everyone that comes in and customers, um, their shipping, just every, everything they do is top notch and they're very customer service orientated. So it's, it's a great spot to buy wine. 
So um, if you're not here locally like we are, if you're in Texas, um, you can rest assured that you can order stuff from, from them and it'll, it'll get to you, it'll be safe and sound, and it'll be a good experience. So there's a plug for uh, Canal Wines. Yeah. Um, uh, this wine is, uh, this st- a state actually was started back, I think, um, they purchased this estate. The Folinari's purchased it back in the 70s. So they've had it for a while. It's a modern style Chianti. What I mean by that is um, it's, uh, well, um, Ambrosio, the son, or excuse me, uh, Giovanni, the son, he studied uh, winemaking at uh, Mandavi, you know, um, back in, I believe, the 80s. Yep. So uh, uh, he knows how to make wine in a modern style. It's got a modern style profile. It's very ripe. Um, see my notes are here um uh uh black cherries almost like a little um uh, just just a little uh uh slight taste of raisin raisins uh it's leather and earth uh you get licorice uh it's done in uh, french oak so you get the nice french oak flavors um really polished tannins got nice tingling acidity and it has a really a, a nice long finish uh the alcohol is reasonable it's 14 percent. that's what it says on the label and it's in this uh, i call it a weightlifting bottle it's a nice beautiful uh, package um tapered uh, uh bordeaux style bottle um and when you're done drinking the wine you can do some uh, you can do some curls because it's a pretty heavy bottle <laughs> <laughs> that's great but it's uh it's 20 bucks um, that's something that's, I'd buy by the case and be pretty yeah. darn happy with. Yeah, sounds like so, it. So those are uh, those are a couple of the Chiantis uh, that I've had. Um, incidentally, 2015 is a fantastic vintage for um, Italy, um, Germany, just all of Europe. You can't go wrong, uh, especially France. I've been uh, drinking a lot of trying and drinking a lot of uh, 2015 Bordeaux and um, we'll have to get together and have a couple builds. They're, they're just mind-blowingly good. No, I'd love it. That'd be great. It's, a, it's amazing. So um, if you're out there shopping, a lot of them are hitting the retail shelves now. Uh, we're getting towards the middle, towards the end for the 2015 um, um, Tuscan Reds. Starting to see some of the 16s come in. Uh, coincidentally, um, 2016 might be even a better year. A little less warm than 2015, so the wines seem like they're a little bit more lively, uh, a little bit higher acidic profile, which is always a good bode for um, longevity. And uh, what else I got? Uh, um, I think I think I'll just end it with those two. Actually, I'll um, we'll have a write up about um, um, the Nosley Estate coming out in the next week or so, and you could get some more details on that. Sounds good. Sounds good. What you been drinking, Bill? You know, I beer mainly, um, not a lot, not a lot of uh, wine. But um, I think what I tell people to go uh, check out is uh, Napa Smith. I talked about them before. Um, they have roots, deep roots in the California craft brew movement. But um, all of their beers are really, really good. And uh, I've one of my favorite Pilsner beers is their Napa Pilsner, Napa Smith Pilsner. 
uh, mm -hmm. which they actually sell in pint cans, um, which is kind of nice, which is like the perfect amount. Um, I can just have a pint at the end of the day and life is good. But um, I'll put that in the show notes. People can probably start to find that, uh, at least on the West Coast. Um, they export, but um, good, really, really solid, uh, solid brewer. Um, the other thing that's worth of note on the beer news is for those that follow beer, Russian River Brewing, which makes Pliny the Younger and Pliny the Elder. Younger is a limited release beer. It only is released in February of each year. And I forget how many barrels of that they make, but it's not much. Um, they have just recently completed a new, uh, a new production facility and tasting room in Windsor. I've not been there yet. I've had friends go there and tell me I got to go. It's really big. So I will be checking that out and I will bring a report back in the near future. Yeah. What a boom for the city of Windsor, huh? Yeah. I mean, it'll be interesting to see if people go there. I, um, I think they're probably in downtown Santa Rosa has a certain je ne sais quoi it, that is sort uh, um, how can I say it in a different way it has a very unique feeling to it that mm -hmm. it, it you know you definitely get the sense that it, it I don't know it has a real for me it, it's very much the epitome of the sort of home I you know I made beer at home and then I turned this into a business feel to it yeah um, yeah it's also, you know, they've got beer signs up that I recognize from when I was in high school in somebody's basement bar that we used to hang out in. It's just, it's a really cool tasting room. So trying to export that um, or re-envision it into something new in a space, I think is really hard. So it'll be interesting to see what they, um, what they do with it. I think that's a wrap. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.